0: Welcome to the first session of the Bible in a Year Commentary. If you're starting this on the 1st of January, then Happy New Year! Today we're going to be looking at Genesis 1-3 to and Psalm 1. But first of all, let's get a bit of an overview on the book of Genesis. See, Genesis, along with the rest of the Torah, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, are traditionally said to be written by Moses. It is, however, much more likely that these books are a collection of Israelite stories that have been edited together throughout their history. Some scholars argue that the final version as we have it now was finished as late as the 5th century BC. An exact structure of Genesis is hard to pin down. The book often goes back and forth between characters to compare and contrast their stories. Here is a simplified summary of that structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly. But we start off with Genesis 1, the creation of heaven and earth. After that, we get Genesis 2, where we zoom in on specifically the creation of Adam and Eve. Then unfortunately, in Genesis 3, we see the fall of Adam and Eve. From there, Genesis 4 to 11, we watch as human humanity be- continues to implode and get worse and worse. And finally, we get Genesis 12 to 50, where God chooses a family to restore humanity. In that final section, that family can be broken up into kind of four key areas. First of all, we have the story of Abraham. This is followed very briefly by the story of his son Isaac. This is then followed by Jacob's story, his son. And then we get the story of the 12 sons of Jacob, focusing very particularly on Joseph. There are many themes in this book, too many to name here. Some key ones are God's order and purpose for the world. People seeing what they think is good and taking it into their own hands. And God taking what humans mess up and turning it back into good. So let's jump in. These first three chapters have so much in them. You could spend an entire lifetime unpacking them. So here are just a few key beats. In the beginning, the earth was disordered. It was like a lump of clay that had yet to be shaped. So God begins to bring order and beauty out of the disorder. First, he divides the day into a period of light, day, and a period of dark, night. Then he divides the the earth into sky, land, and sea. He's bringing order to his creation. Then God begins to populate his creation. He begins with plants and trees and then populates the sky with sun, moon and stars. This brings an extra level of order to creation by giving us seasons. This is followed by birds, fish, animals, all to populate the sky, seas and land. Finally, he creates a place that is perfectly ordered and beautiful. A garden and places the humans in it. He makes these humans in his image to be like him. Their mission is to use the garden as a model and to expand this order and beauty outwards. To take the whole earth and make it ordered and beautiful. Genesis 1, all the way through to Genesis 2 verse 3, are to be read as one story, one series of events. It begins with the declaration, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Proceeds to tell us how he made the heavens and the earth and then finishes declaring the heavens and the earth were finished, and so God rested. Having given us this broad overview, the writer now zooms in on the creation story to focus specifically on what happened with the creation of humanity. God creates the man from dust and his own spirit. We are empowered by God's very spirit. God then gives the man a decision in the form of a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The man can journey with God and learn from him what order and beauty look like. Or, they can take the fruit and decide for themselves what is good and beautiful. If they do this, however, they will ultimately die, because they are stepping out of God's protection and life-giving support. Then, realising that man needed a partner in his work, God created the woman. Unfortunately, as we continue into Genesis 3, we see the man and woman choose to do things their way, rather than God's way. They're convinced by talking to a serpent that they don't need a God. And so they take the fruit that was forbidden. Immediately they are filled with the knowledge of all the evil that could be done. And without the wisdom to hold that properly, they feel vulnerable and naked. When God returns to the garden and finds Adam and Eve, he curses the serpent. This is one of the most important and I think least mentioned parts of this story. God specifically mentions to the serpent that his descendants and the woman's descendants will be constantly at war. This is Genesis 3.15. If you've heard mention of this verse before, it will likely have been as a prophecy towards Jesus, which it is. But before we get that far, I want you to fix in your mind two new categories. Children of the woman, that are made in the image of God, and children of the serpent, beings of chaos and destruction. At different times throughout the Old Testament and the New, we're going to see humans playing the role of children of the woman and children of the serpent at different times. God then turns to Adam and Eve, and while the word curse is never used, he does now tell them the consequences of their actions. There's going to be division between them. Life is going to be harder. And at that, God casts them out of the garden and away from his presence to the west. This story, Genesis 3, is often called the fall. But what isn't as commonly known is that the fall doesn't stop there. As we're going to see, the fall really stretches out from Genesis 3 all the way to Genesis 11. In some early Jewish writings, the bits written in between the Old Testament and the New, we see that the people during that time saw the fall as a three-part drop. We'll have a look at this over the next few takes. So let's turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 has no author attributed to it. It falls into the category of Wisdom Psalm. See Psalms 25 or Psalm 73 for other examples of wisdom psalms. These psalms focus primarily on sharing wisdom with the reader and often reference the Torah or God's law, the Scriptures. The structure of this psalm is interesting and is known as a chiasm. This is where a passage mirrors itself. The pa- this psalm then ends with a comparison between the righteous and the wicked. Again, here is a simplified summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of the commentary. In the description to see the structure properly. And so we start with verses 1 and 2. A blessed man should not stand in these contexts. Following that is verse 3. A blessed man is like a well-watered tree. This is where it then reflects itself. Because then in verse 4, a wicked man is like chaff. And then finally in verse 5, a wicked man cannot stand in these contexts. See the parallels. Finally, we get Psalm 1, verse 6, and this is the comparison between the righteous and the wicked. The focus of this psalm is to lay out the key differences between those who are blessed and happy and those who are wicked. Those who are blessed avoid anything wicked and take delight in God's law. They meditate on it. The wicked do not. As a result, the blessed will be sustained by God's law and prosper, or the wicked will dry out and perish. Here, right at the start of the book of Psalms, the psalmist is laying out two paths before you. Are you going to join with many before you as they have meditated on God's law to write these psalms? Or are you going to ignore that and reject them? One leads to life and prospering with God, the other to death.